This is Shay Fontana with the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. growing up, you know, that was, that was, you know, I really identified with her. But then as I started writing and as I started getting reintroduced to a lot of the characters, and there are a lot uh, in this series, and getting to know little known ones, um, Katana kept coming up. And, you know, I'm, I'm an Asian American, I'm Chinese American. And so it was like, I started thinking, you know, wow, um, when I'm thinking about what I read when I was growing up, there there weren't any Asian characters. I mean, there just there just weren't. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. If you want to find us on Twitter and Facebook, you can at the GBB Podcast. How's it going, Jamie? <laughs> it's going great. How how are you doing? And how are you doing, Shiri? I'm good. <laughs> glad to be back. Yeah, we're we're glad to have you back. Aww. It's always a sunny day when Shiri's here. <laughs> that we're rolling right into our break, our summer break that we're going to take. This is the first time we've ever done it. Ever. So I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear anything. <laughs> Nothing. I'm just. I'm just joking. But um, we're unless, going. Jamie, unless they're like. Unless they're like tweets of like people like crying and complaining that they're going to miss us so much. We'll take those. That's nice. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Maybe I'll pop on and do live broadcasts if there's such an outroar. Ooh, yeah. Definitely. That, that, Absolutely. Probably won't be, but um, Jamie, how long how long is the break going to be? I'm not really sure because we're going to be posting into while while you're away, so it's not going to be the full time you're away. I don't think. No. So after this week, we're going to be taking um, it's going to be f- uh, six weeks until we come back regularly. But there will mm-hmm. be one episode in the middle there um, where we're just going to pop up with a surprise episode. Nice, uh, and that's. Uh, I guess we could spoil it. We talked to the executive producers of the new Ducktales, um, and uh, okay. that is going to air the week that Ducktales will premiere. So we're gonna have that one scheduled to go. But other than that, we're gonna be taking six weeks off. We'll be back regularly starting September fifth. Awesome. We're ready just in time for fall for your September's dry- only six weeks away. Yeah, scary, isn't it? <laughs> oh man, we're not. We're not gonna think about that for a second. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of... I have three months of warm where I live, so I'm going to enjoy <laughs> So this week, you, Jamie, and Sherry, you talked to somebody. Who was it? Tell us about her. We talked to Lisa <laughs> Yee, um, and anybody who's listened to the show or has a pulse and likes um, superheroes is probably aware of the DC Superhero Girls. Uh, we talked to Shay Fontana a while back. She created the property. Um, it is based, ostensibly, in a nutshell, it's taking um, primarily female characters, but not limited to just female characters, but the core cast are the female characters, um, and recasting them as high school students um, at Superhero High. And they're all the same age, they all you know, are um, coming into their own, discovering their powers, uh, and it's a web series of animated shorts, it's a comic book, and Lisa Yee has been writing the middle grade novels. Uh, each one focuses on one of the characters, even though the full cast is in there. Um, it started off with Wonder Woman, then there was Supergirl and Batgirl, and now, just recently, a couple weeks ago, the newest entry was Katana. So it's Katana at Superhero High is the newest book. Uh, and so we talked to her about the books and about superhero, the DC Superhero Girls in general. Right, Jerry? Anything to add? Right. Well, you forgot the you forgot the Lego Superhero Girls. Oh yes. Movie. And toys. It, was it a movie? I think there was a DVD, a direct to DVD movie. Yes. My kids loved it. My son actually. My son is seven, and he actually loves these just as much as as my daughter does. Um, so their their target marketing was definitely effective, but um, I think it it took off more and more widely than they might have expected. 
Um, and it, yeah, it was really interesting to talk to Lisa, especially about Katana, because Katana's origins are not kid-friendly right. at all. <laughs> uh, they're about as far from kid-friendly as you can get. So it was interesting to talk to her about the process of of transforming this character, keeping her her sort of core story, but transitioning it to something that is is kid friendly. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is how much research she did for it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said she went to Japan. Yeah, which I mean, she went to ninja school. She went to ninja school. She went to ninja school, <laughs> which was cool because it's not. I mean, not to knock middle grade books but and not to knock superheroes but you know when you're writing an established superhero character it's not something you don't think that like you have, you've got to go to japan to do your research for that mm-hmm. you know it, you, it's like it's like you would think i would think you know google might be sufficient because the character is already pretty established yeah she included a lot of mythology too which was neat because it can kind of be used as a a springboard kind of the same way kids have used um, Rick Reardon's books to become more immersed in various mythologies right. um, to kind of do that same thing with Japanese mythology, which is definitely not taught here with the same frequency or depth that Greek or Roman or even Egyptian mythology are, are taught and explored. Yeah, which is a shame. But yeah, it's so it they, is they, a shame. Yeah, so that that aspect of the book is that it wasn't. I mean, it was a superhero story, but it wasn't like your run-of-the-mill superhero story because she did dive a lot into that mythology and that you know Japanese culture, which was really great. Awesome. So we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's awesome to have you. Looking forward to being here. Um, I guess let's start with the newest book, Katana. Um, how much did you know about the character of Katana uh, before you started writing this particular book? Um, I knew about Katana because she had been in, in previous books. There were three DC Superhero Girls um, books before that. But mm-hmm. prior to that, I didn't know a lot about her. I think that for a lot of people um, who weren't you know hardcore comic book fans, they found out about her in Suicide Squad. Right. The movie, but I began writing about her before that movie came out, so I started doing a lot of research, and for the book, I, I actually went to Japan to um, study the samurai and to take ninja lessons. Wow. I know. I learned how to use a sword, because I thought, well, I should I should know what the weight of a sword feels like, and I learned how to hold a dagger and to kill people with chopsticks and to sneak around. Uh, so so <laughs> you're just full of cool <laughs> skills now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to be careful with me if we're eating Asian food together. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, well, that's interesting. I mean, do... Um, when you don't take offense at this, but usually I think when people think of middle school or not, you know, middle grade books, they don't think that they require that much, you know, research. They're not going to require you to tra- travel to Japan and take samurai lessons, you know, or or you know, or or to really immerse yourself. But um, do you do you do that a lot? Do you really try to immerse yourself in a different culture if that's what you're writing about? I try to do that as much as possible. Um... You know, I also write for American Girl, and when I wrote a series set in Hawaii, I forced myself to go to Hawaii and take surf lessons. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and then I wrote a series um, set in the Amazon rainforest, so I, I went to the Amazon rainforest and uh, swam in the river and, and held, you know, boa constrictors and met baby sloths and ate bugs. Um, it's, it's actually, you know, just between us, it's a great excuse to travel. Yeah. And it's um, it, tax-deductible that way, right? That I was going to add, and it's a total tax write-off. Yes. <laughs> That's what I always tell my husband. I'm like, I got I to gotta go look at a, a cave in Iceland. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, what was the process of translating a not-so-kid-friendly character into a middle-grade heroine like? Well, you know, when I first started the series, I... I was completely freaking out because it's this this DC universe that, that everybody knows about. And um, what the series is, it's these teenagers at Superhero High, it's an alternate universe. So we have superheroes and supervillains, boys and girls, in high school together. But the thing is that they don't know yet 
who's going to be a hero and who's going to be a villain. We, you know, as, as readers, as comic book fans, as superhero fans, we know who they're going to be. They don't know. So I'm writing about them in a time in their life, like all of us in high school, where we're not sure where we belong or where we're going to go. And when I started writing a series, I had this weight upon me. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm writing about these superheroes who happen to be teenagers. And then when I really thought about it, it's like, no, that's not what I'm writing. I am writing about teenagers who happen to be superheroes. Mm. And once I had that conceit in my brain, it was a lot easier to write because we've, we've all been there. We know the, the stress and the angst and the anxiety that you have as a teen. And then I just ramp it up, you know, 12,000 times. <laughs> um, you know, it, one of the interesting things like you said is that it takes these characters that we think we know and kind of reimagines them um, but it also sort of levels them all out I guess is the best way to put it in terms of their age so you know Wonder Woman and and Supergirl are the same age um, I was just w- wondering you know, as somebody who, you know, I've read that, you know, you you were a geek growing up, so, like, these are not new characters to you. Like, you, you, you were familiar with at least the core characters, so was that a difficult jump to make, to think, like, okay, Wonder Woman is usually, like, this older, wiser, you know, more experienced character, but not necessarily in this world that you're creating? Yeah, in, in the beginning it really was, and we started out with Wonder Woman because, you know, she's just so iconic, male or female, she's one, she's, you know, like the top superhero. And when I began, I, I really was researching in terms of, you know, like reading Jill Lepore's History of Wonder Woman and, and, and going back to all the comics and everything, until I realized that they're not asking me to retell a story. Right. They're asking me to create a new one. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about things like, okay, how am I going to get her from Paradise Island to Superhero High? So I had her homeschool. And then I had things like, I just started thinking about when I was a kid, you know, I used to like try on my mom's jewelry and things like that. So I had Wonder Woman trying on her mom's cuffs and, you know, mm. you know things like that. And so then I started, right, because I was curious, it's like, well, how did she get to be who she is? How did she get to have the cuffs and the crown and all this? So I had it that like when she was young, she would try on the, the cuffs and they never fit. And her mother would say, you know, hey, leave, leave my jewelry alone. But on the day that she left to go to Superhero High, her mother approaches her and and places the cuffs on her wrist. And for the first time in her life, they fit. Mm. So I was trying to, you know, draw in things that we know about Wonder Woman, but give, you know, context about how they became. Yeah. How much, um, how strict are the guidelines that DC sets for you when you're writing these? Do they give you a pretty strict framework or do they give you more flexibility? It's a combination. When I first started, I got this, this big book, you know, like a Bible of characters, you know, that I can draw from. And, um, you know, I'm aware of the, the web series, is an animated web series, there are graphic novels, there, and of course there are movies, there are, you know, the television shows and everything. So what I can do is I can complement but not contradict anything that anyone else is doing, and then I can create my own stories at the same time. So what the process is, is that I'll come up with, with a, a synopsis, a brief kind of like where I want to go with this character, and then I'll submit that, and it's reviewed by Random House, who's the publisher, Warner Brothers Entertainment, and DC Entertainment. And once I've given the go-ahead on that, I'll do an outline, a very extensive outline of plotting and who the characters are. And at that point, we might go back and forth, and DC might have a suggestion, or they might say, uh, or I might even ask, you know, I've got this particular villain. Is there somebody that you think would be better served for this story? And we'll do a little back and forth with that. And once that's approved, then I just go and I, I write the novel. But it, they've been wonderful to work with. It's been you know, it's been thrilling to work with them. And also I know that that DC has my back so that um, when I go to Comic-Con, because I go to a lot of Comic-Con, and, you know, and someone says, why'd you do this? It's like, it's okay, DC said it was okay. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, you mentioned going back and forth with DC and Warner Brothers, obviously, because they own the characters. But do you ever, uh, like, sit down and hash out ideas with Shay as she writes the comics? Um, no, actually, we do things separately. Yeah. You know, like, like I get her, you know, like, and, and like, I'll get her scripts, 
and and I'll get her, you know, I'll get her things and and she'll get mine. But um, the um, like what I'm doing is is middle grade, and um, so it's ages, you know, eight or nine and up. And I I do have a lot of teens, and surprisingly a lot of adults reading it. Mm-hmm. And then um, like the animated um, series that skews actually a little bit younger. So I think what we're doing, I think this is brilliant on DC's part, is is we're able to reach this wide swath of viewers and, and readers of different age groups and of different age levels. Yeah. It, it, um, I, and I guess this is something that would, you know, land in DC's court, but, you know, in terms of, because even though you said that this is uh, basically it's its own universe, you know, it's existing separate from, you know, the other books and the other movies and the other iterations of these characters, but is DC making an attempt to, even though you're targeting different audiences with the book versus the comics versus the, the, the web series, um, you still want to have the characters all have basically be treated the same or have the same voice, uh, so to speak. So is that something that DC is, is balancing among the, the different approaches? Um, what happens is that that everything that's been done you know, gets gets funneled through Warner Brothers Entertainment in DC. Mm-hmm. So um, Benjamin Harper and Mike Carlin and people over there are the ones who see everything, so that they know that that we're consistent. At the same time, you'll find that the graphic novels and um, the you know the prose novels um, have have a different feel, have a different feel yeah. to it, um, and a lot of that has to do with the format. Because I'm writing novels and, and there are no pictures in it or anything like that, um, you know, I'm able to go into depth um, in terms of character development and and the emotions and the background. Um, whereas, like with the graphic novels or the comics, um, you're able to see that, but you don't, you know, you, you don't go perhaps as much in depth with mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Um the books that you've written so far in the series obviously each one focuses on one of the core characters one of the 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 dc superhero girls um when you first found out that you were going to be writing this was there one character in particular that you were just like really excited like oh i finally get to write this character i i was actually really excited to write about batgirl Mm -hmm. because you know um because she doesn't have any superpowers per se she's this book nerd and that and that's who i was mm-hmm. um so it was really fun writing about her and she loves the library and and i and i i really identified with her although i have to say that like i grew up with um and i came into the superhero world through television and movies so i was watching you know the batman series with adam west and mm-hmm. i wanted to marry robin and then i was just fixated on Linda Carter and Wonder Woman and I had that hair I had that big hair and I could twirl and and, and, and do all that kind of did stuff. Did you do the spin did too? It? I say didn't we all? <laughs> we all did. It was just, you know you had to right? Absolutely. So it was you know I mean so you know the, the, the characters were just you know um, especially Wonder Woman growing up you know that was that was you know I really I identified with her but then as I started writing and as I started getting reintroduced to a lot of the characters, and there are a lot uh, in this series, and getting to know little-known ones, um, Katana kept coming up. And, you know, I'm, I'm an Asian-American, I'm Chinese-American. And so it was like I started thinking, you know, wow, um, when I'm thinking about what I read when I was growing up, there, there weren't any Asian characters. I mean, there just, there just weren't. And so I got very excited, and I, I knew that I wanted to write a Katana book. And I had this meeting over at um, at DC, Los Angeles, and Warner Brothers was there and everything, and we were going to talk about the fourth book, because the first book was Wonder Woman, then we had Supergirl, then we had Batgirl, and it was like, who was going to be the fourth? And, and I had this whole list written down about why it had to be Katana, mm-hmm. and I was just so passionate about this. And I remember I get in the room, and everybody's there, they're like, well, let's talk about the fourth book. And I said, well, I, I really think it should be Katana. And everyone's like, okay, that's great. Go with it. And I'm like, <laughs> You're like, no, wait, I had a no. whole argument. <laughs> I said, don't you want to hear my list? I'm like, no, it's a great idea. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, are there, oh, no, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Are there plans to write about the superhero high students beyond the superhero girls? Or is that sort of a big enough pool that... It'll keep you busy for a while. 
Um, there are so many, um, you know, DC superhero girls um, to, to draw from. So right now, we're 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 drawing from them. And as you'll as you'll see as as the books go on, um, new ones are being introduced, and they're still from the DC universe. But a lot of times, they may be little known characters. And that's the wonderful thing about writing about this series, or, or you know, writing about superheroes in general. A lot of times they have um, reiterations, and you might have a character um, in in one format that you know, as we know, changes again. You know, their personality changes, or something about them changes, but you know, that the name may be the same. And that's what we're doing here too. Yeah, you know, you mentioned um, you know going to Japan and doing the research for the Katana book. Um, and I, you probably just answered this in, in the story that you said about you know wanting to pitch Katana as the fourth book, but um, how important really, from the very beginning, how important was it to incorporate that cultural background, that, that, that cultural identity of her as an Asian character, um, and get some of that mythology in, get some of that, that background in that maybe a character like Batgirl wouldn't have, you know, and to, to present her as more than just a two-dimensional superhero. Yeah, well, you know, I, I try to do that with, with all the characters. And for Katana, what happened with, with Wonder Woman, you know, with that being the first one, we, we were creating this universe, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so, we, you know, it was world building and, and, and the high school and the characters and everything. And then, and then when, when Supergirl came in, you know, I, I knew, like, what I did, what I did is um, I spend way too much time on Facebook and Twitter and social media. Don't we all? And, but, I, yeah, so I went, I went to Facebook and I said... Um, you know, what is the one word you think about with Supergirl? Because I, I, a lot of times I, I, you know, have a key word when I'm writing that I think about. And everybody was saying, like, flight and strength. And, and, but the word I used was one that nobody had come up with. And I had, like, you know, a couple hundred people chiming in. And that was loss. Hmm. And I wanted to talk about um, her and, and the loss of her planet, the loss of her family, and how that informs who she is. So with, with her, we started really going deeper into psychology of who she was and, and how that informs who she is. And then with Batgirl, it was about, um, a lot of it was about um, her dealing with her father, Police Commissioner Gordon, because he, he wanted her to be an accountant and he wanted her to be safe and she wanted to go to Superhero High. So all that groundwork was laid. So by the time that we got to Katana, everybody knew Superhero High. And Katana's the first one where we really leave the high school for long periods of time and we go back to Japan mm-hmm. and not only go back to Japan but we go back in history to get the the rich cultural references that she talks about and everything but it was it was it was timely to do that because superhero high and that universe and metropolis was already set and everybody knew about that yeah um, unless unless uh, the internet has lied to me and this might have come from Wikipedia. I, I can't. I can't really tell you where it was from. But um, is Harley Quinn the next book? Harley Quinn is the next book. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I would say, yeah. and now you, you know, people might think differently. You might think differently. So correct me if if you disagree. But I would say that of all of the at least core, you know, a a lineup of the superhero girls, she probably has the most distinctive voice. You know, the the in terms of how she presents herself. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering both mentally and her y- y- actual voice that my kids always make me do when we're right. reading it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as you, were, I mean, I'm not sure how deep into that book you you are if it might already be finished. But how challenging is that to you know to sort of get that very distinct voice that so many people are already familiar with? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was because everybody already already knows her, and, and she's like you know a breakout star as far as you know all the superheroes and everything go. Um, for Harley, you know, I had written for her, and she has a, a, a deep presence in all the other books. And so I actually worked backwards with writing her book, and I'm, I'm in the process of finishing it up, so it's not quite done, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's almost done. And so when, when writing her, you know, and, and we, know, we all know how she turns out, <laughs> um, but the, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to, to set it up so that in, in all of the books and all of the characters, um, 
adults who, or anyone who knows how they how these characters are as adults, whether they're villains or superheroes, they can look back at the superhero high series and say, oh, of course, because that happened, that's maybe why that, right. you know, hmm. this person is away. So with Harley, she has a web channel, Harley's Quintessentials, that she's obsessed with. And sometimes she's more concerned with getting viewers than making friends. Mm. And so there are things like that, and, and, and what she thinks is funny, not everybody else does. Like, she loves it when when her, her classmates mess up, because she can put that on the air, and she thinks that's hysterical, and they don't think that's hysterical. So when I started writing about Harley, and just thinking about her motivations, um, I was able to, you know, embody the character, and then, then I went back, and I watched all the webisodes, and I watched that to get get the cadence of the voice so it's not exactly the vo- as you read the book it's not exactly the same just because in writing prose you know you, you don't want to do all the right. too much of the colloquial or, and it's hard to do an accent right. you know when you're writing prose but there are key words that she uses and phrases that she uses that you'll see in all formats yeah so basically what you're saying is that the people who are like obsessed with their self-image like on their YouTube channels or blogging or whatever they're all going to end up like Harley? Uh, it's possible. All right. Duly noted. <laughs> if you could adapt any comics character, you know, DC, Marvel, Image, Whatever, any character to prose, who would it be? Wow, uh, that is a great question. I've I've never thought of that. Um, I don't. You know, I think it would have been. Can I? Can I? Can I go back in time and say it would be Katana? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, we're we're in this alternate universe, right? Yeah. yeah. Time is very yeah. flexible in this world. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it would be Katana. You know, my, I, I became I became so obsessed with her. I was just at Denver Comic Con last week, and I had brought my uh, Katana sword. Um, and it's it's not a real sword, but it's you know sort of retractable with a blade and everything. Right, and then right. you know I was told I I couldn't bring it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently, you you know you they really don't want weapons. Yeah, at I heard about that. But. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it would be be Katana. And you know, when I was when I was writing about her, I I learned so much. And that's one of the benefits of being an author is that you know you get to research and you get to learn all this stuff, and it's part of your job. Yeah. Um, I I saw or I read somewhere that um, you know your quote unquote break in publishing in terms of uh, book writing. Uh, came about because you were you were just picked out of the slush pile. Is that true? Because I didn't think that ever happened. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it was like amazing. So um, you know, I'd always wanted to write books, but I, I didn't start until after I was a mom and had kids and everything. And I, I had written for television. I had written for advertising. I had a lot of writing jobs. And um, I got this book called The Writer's Market. And yeah. there was this article about this uh, editor. His name's Arthur Levine, and he's the editor of the Harry Potter series. I thought he looked friendly. And, <laughs> you know, he was, he was and but I liked his listening, the books he wrote. So, so I wrote to him just out of the blue, and that's called the slush pile. If you don't have an agent or you mm-hmm. don't know anyone, and you just send a letter, and I just sent him a manuscript, and I said, "Hey, you know, this is who I am. Here's this manuscript," and he wrote back to me. He said, "This." this book isn't right for me, but I like your voice. He meant the letter that I wrote. He said, you know, if you, if you have anything else, I would, I would love to read it. And I, I said, well, I have this idea for this book about this, this kid and she's a genius and she doesn't have any friends and, you know, and she's a senior in high school. She's 11 years old. He said, I'd love to read it. So he sent it to me. And I said, well, I know you're really busy, you know, so I'll send you a synopsis in the first three chapters. If you like it, I'll send you the rest of the book. And he called me, he said, I love this, send me the rest of the book. And I said, oh, I actually haven't written it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not something you're supposed to do. But I ended up writing that. That became Millicent Men Girl Genius, my first novel, which came out in 2003. Wow. And Arthur and I have done eight books together since then. 
Um, but yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen, and no. and it did. And I think that if I were smarter, I probably wouldn't have done it and wouldn't be published because I would have been like, oh, that doesn't happen. Yeah, if somebody had told you, or if you'd known better, you'd be like, oh, that's you know, that's the place where manuscripts go to die. I'm not even going to bother. And then, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's where everyone yeah, sends their 50,000 words after Nano without even editing right. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, so true. Well, you know, you mentioned one of the things that I think is so interesting about your particular history and your career is that you, before that, before you started, you know, writing books and were a commercial success, like you, you just wrote, you just, you wrote anything and everything and um, you know, you wrote for food labels, uh, you wrote a Red Lobster menu, apparently, and like a lot of ad marketing copy. And I think um, I think that's something that a lot of aspiring writers don't really think about, you know, that, you know, that you're not going to make a break with a book. Usually, you know, you're going to have to take all these other jobs and gigs that will pay the bills, but might not really satisfy you creatively. Um I'm wondering, for you personally, did you find all those jobs fun, or was it more of a just a challenge to get through that stage and finally get noticed? I Well, you know, I thought they were fun because when I was in college, I thought I was going to go to law school. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Mm. And and right before graduating, going to law school, I, I was like, you know, I can't go through with this because I'd always wanted to do creative writing, but I was too afraid to write books because nobody actually writes books. And that's when I started doing, you know... Um, any kind of writing possible. So yeah, I wrote, you know, I wrote slogans, I wrote old, you know, Paso El Paso. I wrote a lot of television commercials for food and I was a journalist and then I worked at Disney as a writer producer. So I was always writing stories even though I wasn't writing books because you know, like if you think about it like a menu is a story, you know, it has an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. It's a beginning, middle, end. Mm -hmm. That's just how I thought. You know, writing a TV commercial, you know, that's a story. It's a little 30-second story. Not all of them. Some of them may just yell at you about the car or something. But, you know, (laughs) is is a story. So um, when when people used to say, wow, you know, your first book came out and it was a hit and you're so lucky, it's like, you know, but I wrote, you know, for decades, and, you know, I mean, I was writing every day, and that also helped me, being in the work world, writing, I learned about deadlines, I learned about word counts, I learned about how to sell something, you know, I learned all of that, so it wasn't an overnight success, it was, you know, like a a 20-year success, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm sure people come up to you, especially little kids who say, I want to be a writer someday. Like, how do I become a writer? How do I write a book? But, you know, I think especially now with the Internet and the the ease of just putting your stuff out there, whether you're writing or you're doing videos or you know, you, you're an artist or an illustrator, it's so easy to just put your stuff out there and to, you know, to, to, to have people see it. Um, but the flip side of that is that because it's so easy, there's just this there's just this mountain of stuff that's available online, and it's really difficult to find an audience. So it feels like people who are really good at whatever they do, really good at their craft, if it's if they're just a brilliant writer or a really great artist, they can they can struggle and struggle and be turning out some amazing stuff, but they're not going to be seen. They're not going to find that audience because it's like they're shouting when everybody else is shouting and they just can't be heard. I'm wondering if, if, like, what advice do you give to people who want to follow that creative path, who want to, like, I want to write, or I want to draw, or I want to do this. You know, you, you've you've been through that. You've been through what could could be seen as, like, the slog of writing for menus and things like that. And now you're yeah, no. a successful writer writing for, you know, one of the biggest franchises out there. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent question, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because, Right now, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Los Angeles at the SCBWI conference, and that's the Society of Children's Book Writers and mm. Illustrators conference. And that's how I got my start, is going to that conference. And if anyone wants um, to know more about it, if you go to my website, lisayee.com, there's a link to that, and there are actually there are writing tips and, and things you can join and things like that. But I was totally clueless until I went to my first conference and I learned about craft and I learned about, you know, and that's the thing, you, you need to learn about how to write well before you should even start worrying about getting discovered 
or getting published or anything like that. You, you have to write well, you know, and, and so I came and I, I learned how to write well, and, um, and then my editor was here. I met my agent at this conference um, because I had gotten serious about writing, and, and there's something I think that happens to people. It's like, you know, you can, you can write at home, and, and everybody does, and I did for years and years, but once you go to a class, once you go to a conference, once you're in a writing group or a workshop, it suddenly becomes a little more real mm-hmm. when there are other people involved, you know, and, and, there's a, and there's a give and take. And, and when I came to this conference, I found my tribe. I met a lot of other people who were just like me, who were unpublished but wanted to be published someday, but also wanted to learn how to write a book. Yeah. you know, how to be an illustrator. And so I, I, I can't emphasize that enough to take a class, go to a workshop. And, you know, like, and, and if you're a kid, like I taught um, writing workshops, um, many of them, um, when I was living in South Pasadena, California, at my local library, and a lot of local libraries have classes for kids if, if they're interested in writing. So, I mean, there's a lot out there, but, you know, you might have to, like, open your eyes and, and close your computer and go out there <laughs> and find them. Yeah. Are you going on to um, San Diego Comic-Con next week? I am not in San Diego Comic-Con next week. No, I, I um, am going to a conference in Orlando, though, for the um, International Literacy Association. That sounds better anyway. <laughs> and very different. <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, I remember my first, San Diego Comic Con. It was amazing and overwhelming. And I'd written a book called Warp Speed, and it's a middle grade book. And there's a lot of Star Trek, Star Wars, and Batman in there. And I remember going to the Comic Con. Actually, that no, that was the first one I was speaking at. I had I had been to before, but it's like, well, you can't even describe it. It's, it's insane. <laughs> you walk and you look down, you're like, oh my god, what world am I? This is so awesome, and I'm scared at the same time yeah. <laughs> but the i in ila international literacy association that's that's the group that used to be ira right the international reading yes. association yes. yeah i've been to yes. their conference too and um yeah. it's an amazing conference like if you're a teacher or if you are involved in teaching reading or in any capacity um it's it's talk about finding your tribe like that is a it's an amazing place to be just the energy that you get off of these teachers and publishers and the people who are putting that stuff out there it's it's a phenomenal conference it really is oh yeah i've been before and i'm actually going to be doing speed dating there oh my goodness it's actually not speed, but what it is it's speed dating with books yeah you know our library so, does that our public yeah, library it's just, yeah it's like so fun like you're there and and there are people there, and you have ten minutes to sell, you know, to sell yourself or talk about your book, and and then then you move on to the next table, and you and you keep going, and it's it's like it's awesome, and then you just collapse after because like it's like oh my god, I can't believe like you know all that energy in the room is just amazing. Yeah, um, you, you talk about you know if you want to be a success, you just got to do the work. You got to put it put in the mileage, put get the words down. I um I read that you do make a point to write every day. So I'm wondering if you have a routine or do you just do you fit it in when you have the time? Um I write every day and writing every day to me doesn't necessarily mean you know writing so many pages or something like that, but right. it's like coming up with ideas. I count Facebook and Twitter as writing. I think other people don't but <laughs> I, I do um you know but um when i'm on a when i especially though when i'm a de- on a deadline, I do a word count it's like i I have to achieve so many words per day, and I try different methods of achieving that and and I tried this thing called um something like death by writing or something and, and it just write or die write or die yeah have you done that <laughs> oh my, it's, it's like you you come up with a word count and if you if 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 you're not hitting it the page turns color and then it, you're threatened with it erasing everything if you don't meet it i mean it was just i was i was petrified and but um now i i i have things that i use i, I write on scrivener which tells gives me a word count and then I put myself on, there are two apps, one's called Freedom and one's called Antisocial, so I can block myself from the internet. That's brilliant. And and I have to do it because um, Freedom will block you from everything. I use Antisocial because that way I can still get email and I can still um, Google to, to research if I need to, but I can't do any social media. 
Mm. <laughs> it really helps. I, I think I need that. I think <laughs> just, I need just, that too. <laughs> just to get through the day, not even to get words on the page, just to, you know, reclaim some, some of the hours that I'm losing to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing, the thing is you can, you can, you can do anywhere from like 10 minutes to eight hours. So like I, I'll put myself on like for an hour at a time because then when I'm writing and then I think, oh gosh, I need my, my social media fix. It's like, okay, you can hold out for 10 more minutes. You yeah. can do it, you know. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I gotta ask, what's up with your Winnie the Pooh collection? Oh, my Winnie the Pooh. So I have the second largest collection of Winnie the Poohs in America, and most of them are living in um, White River, Canada right now, in hmm. a museum. How do you know it's the um, second largest? Because Carol Smith had the first largest, and I was always <laughs> jealous of her. <laughs> um... It, it might not be the second largest anymore. I don't know. Um, you know, I still have a lot, um, and they're they're in my my house and in my in my parents' house. And um, it, it was actually kind of liberating when I stopped collecting. I collect everything, though. I mean, I you should see my superhero action figures and, <laughs> and you know all that kind of stuff. But um, but I remember I was collecting, and then I stopped, and then eBay came around, and then I kind of I became really obsessed by it. So then I just actually one day went uh, whole turkey. But there are, um, you know, probably thousands of them. There were 80 boxes that were shipped to Canada. Holy moly! So when you were collecting, did you have any sort of criteria, or if it was if it was poo, it was fair game? Um, I had I had some criteria. I liked um, classic Pooh, the Ernest Shepherd, but I, I, I collected a ton of Disney and I worked for Disney, you know, so I, I, I had that. Um, you know, I, I liked the books and then I liked um, figurines. I, I did have some plush, but not too many plush, although I had a lot of, um, you know, R. John Wright and, and um, collector item mm-hmm. kinds of ones. But, and, they, and they had their own room um, when I was living in Florida because I was working at Walt Disney World at the time. Uh, so they had their own room and everything. And then what happened was we moved to, to Los Angeles. And um, the housing market is very different in Los Angeles, so they weren't <laughs> going to have their own room. And uh, I had I had been in contact with these people in White River, Canada, because they had this statue of Winnie the Pooh. And um, I became friends with some people in the town, and they were going to have this museum. And I told them, when I die, how would you like it if I wove them all to you? And they're like, that's great. And so then I thought, okay, you know what? They're just going to be in storage. So maybe they can get them early. And they don't have to send them out to kill me, you know, to get that collection. And so that's what happened. Um, you know, they came down and, and drove them away to get them. So I, you know, and I haven't, I, I keep thinking I'm going to visit them, but in the back of my mind, it's like, no, I, I probably shouldn't. It might be too hard to do that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of but weird. I know, it's, like, I know. it's like visiting your children after you've sent them away and you know, it's like, but it's like, right, they're not right, coming like, home. So it's like, <laughs> like, mom, how could you do that? Uh, <laughs> but you know, to me, it was like, okay. They're all sitting in storage right now, and nobody, you know, nobody's enjoying them. Right. And so, if they're in a museum, if if they're if they're there in in White River, um, people can can enjoy them and they can see them. And, I, and when I was in Florida, hi Miss Julie, her um, this, um, preschool nearby that, that my kids had gone to, Miss Julie, who was a preschool teacher, once a year she would bring her class to my house and Aww. we would have Aww. a poo day and they could see the poos and, and we would get out stickers and stuff like that. And, and so that was so fun for me to see other people besides me enjoying them. And then, you know, quite honestly, um, you know, my kids weren't, weren't huge Winnie the Pooh fans. They were yeah. just like mom's weird and, and she won't let us touch them, you know? So, so. <laughs> That's awesome. I I do have to, I I sympathize because I used to be a huge Star Wars collector, like the old original, huh? like the original Kenner toys still in their packages and their boxes and stuff. And um, when I you know had my own kids and we got our own house, it's like I just don't have the space for it anymore. So it's all been sitting in boxes. Um, so exactly. I do I do sympathize, and I've been slowly some of the stuff that's not very valuable. I've just been opening it up and letting my kids play with it. You know, I, I, I like to say that I've taken a lesson from Toy Story. You know, toys yeah. are meant to be played with, not not set, you know, packaged and put inside of a box for, you know, 
investments. And, <laughs> and Jamie and I actually had that conversation because one of my friends sent me a, a vintage Leia bounty hunter action figure. And I'm like, I'm just going to open this. Yeah. And yeah. and we yeah, all decided know, that was okay. It is. <laughs> I have I have started doing that too because when I was collecting, you know, sometimes I would get two. I'd get an infant box, which I would save, and then I would get something that I would open. And now I'm just opening everything yep. because, I mean, and I'm, I'm the one playing with them because my kids are older, <laughs> you know. But I'm playing with them, and and like you know, when I'm on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, like like you'll probably see right now pictures of my me and my katana doll going places and doing things and eating and like yeah. she had never had street tacos before so i posted katana at a taco <laughs> truck having her first tacos you know so you know it, it's more fun that way it is i have assumed some do back that goes places with me <laughs> oh good for you <laughs> toys are meant to be played with that's what i think and you know if, if whether that's by kids or by adults that's fine i'm not gonna that's judge right <laughs> I also sympathize, though, because if you bump my desk wrong, you get buried in Marvel Funkos. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, if you go to my website, there are pictures of my office and my desk, and you'll see a lot of my toys. And, yeah. and I have them. They're, they're organized, but they're not. Like, I have my superheroes in one section, and then I have my Star Trek in another section, you know, so then they're kind of spread out, but, you know, and, and they do intermingle now and then. I love it. I love it. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's been just awesome having you, and it's been a great conversation. Oh, I've had a great time. This is so much fun. All right, so before the break, we were talking about the Lego superhero properties, and they're doing very well with those in the theaters. I don't. Did you guys get a chance to see the Lego Batman movie? No. Alas, I did not. I didn't either. I'm so, Although I, I heard it was the best Batman movie two? to date. I know. I, I, it was perfect. I really wanted to see it. We were very excited about it, and then mm-hmm. one thing led to another, and we just we missed it. So my well, do- my kids saw it. They loved it. It, it's, it's amazing to me how much Lego, and I know this is off topic from our interview, but it just reminded me of something. It's amazing to me how much Lego is in popular culture now because it was so popular when i when i was young and a kid and we played with it and it's still arguably more popular today with you know the licensing of pro you know properties for it and um the there's a guy i know who started an instagram account and he's blowing up in the news right now it's called lego dad i'm not sure if you've seen it a bunch of different uh uh, places picked it up and he does like quotes and instagram photos based on lego and he even has lego lego business president business and he bases it off donald trump it's hilarious but it's just it's insane <laughs> it's, it's a great way i'm sitting here right now next to the phantom with mm-hmm. thrawn keenan and mm-hmm. then i got a set the head to your and then i'm also sitting here next to the Sanctum Sanctorum. I have the Doctor Strange set literally right next to you right now. Very nice. And so, and so for them to include Lego superhero, uh, the superhero DC The girls, girls, superhero girls, yeah. Superhero girls, it's amazing. Because that, you know, once that happens, it's just, you know, your your property is it's already exploding. But that just, you know, puts you through the stratosphere. Yeah. <laughs> when, when Lego I, wants to take you on. They're good sets. My only complaint about them is that they're in the, quote, girly packaging. I'm making right. quotes with my fingers. In the pink and purple girly packaging. And I don't understand why Legos can't just be Legos. Because, again, my son loves them. Yeah. And my daughter, you know, loves the stuff that doesn't come in the girly so, packaging. But aside from the packaging, the... The characters, the superhero girls, are the mini dolls, which are the yeah. ones that came with the mm-hmm. Lego friends, which the are Lego friends. Like so, the heads and the hair and everything—they're not compatible with the standard minifigures. I don't have a problem with them. I mean, my my daughter is not a big Lego friends fan. She likes some. She mm-hmm. likes the little animals. So any set that comes with little animals, she'll be all about that. Um, but she, you know, she plays with the, the little mini dolls and whatever. But the superhero girls are that same style. How, what what are your feelings on that? Do your kids care? My kids don't care, um, except that Zora gets really frustrated. My daughter's five, and she gets really frustrated because the hair always falls off. Oh. <laughs> For whatever reason, the way they design them, the hair doesn't lock on the same way as um, regular Lego minifigures. So all of her characters are running around with no hair. <laughs> and it, it irks her. It irks her that she right. can't put the hair on 
and that it doesn't stay on. But when we were at Legoland last month and she saw the girls doing their little show dressed up as Lego friends, she thought it was great and she wanted pictures with them. Oh, so sweet. wow. <laughs> and and, and I mean, <laughs> it, it goes in line to like Hasbro now is again saying there was no interest in having Ray in the Monopoly set. I saw an article this morning. Well, like, wait a minute. You gotta, watch, you gotta watch the Jezebel headlines, man. Let's be clear. The The true story is not that there was no interest in Ray. It's that there was no gotcha. interest in Monopoly. Okay, gotcha. So there was the, the Monopoly, that first wave that they made without Ray, didn't sell. And stores are not interested in buying another set of Monopoly that has Ray in it to just sit gotcha. around. Gotcha. So it's a it's a bit of a I mean it's a bit of a, a misread on that to say that there's okay, no so, interest in sorry. Ray. Sorry, the fake the fake news got me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it wasn't fake news. It was just, I I love Jezebel. I think they're great. They do really important right. stuff, but they do have a slant. Right. Um, and sometimes their headlines are a little clickbaity that way. Um, and I was saying, actually, we were discussing this on the on the Geek Dad Slack channel. Um, that did that was a bad call on Hasbro's mm. part to not have Ray, but there is plenty of Ray stuff to be found. There's a lot now. Um, I mean, I have the new the Destiny dice game. I have a Ray set. Um, my daughter has had no problem finding shirts. Um, mm-hmm. She had, one of the first Star Wars Lego sets my son got. Um, after Force of Weekends came out, is Ray Speeder, so she's she's around. Yeah, she's around. She has not been as neglected as as implied. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for coming by week after week. Thanks for hitting the download button. You, you can find Ray in our hearts every <laughs> single week here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast, and my Twitter and Instagram is at one forty Justin C. I am Jamie is I am at the Roarbots and Shiri. My Instagram is Dante Brin, D-A-N-T-E-B-R-I-N. Um, and my Twitter is SW Sondheimer. Awesome. I, I love that you have an Instagram that you have to spell. I know. <laughs> it's great. All right, guys. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you next week right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. 